Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question, while providing real solutions from a biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Charles Roberts and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Hello and welcome to another Out of the Question podcast. I'm co-host Pastor Charles Roberts, and I'm joined by Andrea Schwartz, mentor and friend. Hello, Andrea. How are you today? Well, people like to say I can't complain, and I always can complain. It's never hard for me to complain, but I think sometimes it's probably the better part of wisdom not to complain. So I have a cold that I'm trying to beat, so I am grateful that you can understand me and I'm not sneezing, so that's good. I'm I'm glad, and I'm not going to complain. We are grateful for the small blessings of life. Amen. (laughs) You know, this is a podcast, friends, where we deal with questions that come our way or questions that are on the minds of people, but we always find that behind the surface questions are things more significant and things worth investigating. And the question we want to deal with today is one that is uh, talked about from time to time. It's been discussed many times, but we haven't discussed it in this program yet. And it is this question, what's wrong with public schools? Why shouldn't I, as a Christian, put my children in a public school? But there's another issue behind that question. The larger question is, what is the meaning and purpose of education specifically or generally. And that is a much more significant thing. And once we get behind that question and answer that, then we will be in a more convenient situation to answer the surface question about what is the problem with public schools and public education. Well, this is a huge topic, and it's one that can be polarizing, and I'm going to do my best not to be polarizing. There's plenty of things to say about public or I'll put synonymous term statist education. And it starts with the idea that there's no such thing as a neutral position. A lot of people think, I choose not to send my child to a religious school, so my child's going to a public school. But if we don't acknowledge the fact that you can't get away from a religious point of view, if we look at religion as that which is of most concern to people, then everybody has a religious view. So the question is, are the public schools neutral. Well, I just said you can't really be neutral, but are they approximating neutrality or is there an agenda and is it an obedient and responsible thing for Christian parents to place their children in such an environment? That issue was brought home to me in a recent uh, documentary that I, I actually mentioned to you in another context, and I think this is as good a time as any is to bring it in. It was a documentary about the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh cult that occupied a small town in Oregon. One of the controversies surrounding it was that this basically Hindu religious group moved into this town and bought up all the property and basically took over the town, and they were running the city themselves, which they technically were allowed to do because they'd done it all quote-unquote legally. But one of the issues that was raised was the fact that they were running the state or public school, the only one in town, and the question was, Can they really do that because they are a quote-unquote church and therefore teaching religion? I was very struck by that in light of what you just said, especially because no matter what school it is, private, public, government, statist, religious, it is going to be teaching some sort of worldview, some sort of philosophical outlook on life. It's unavoidable. And I think one way Christians have not thought clearly about this issue is the idea that Like you said, there can be this neutral ground in some places in life, in some areas of life, where there really is no religious point of view, and that simply is a myth. It is a falsehood. Your point is well taken. Most Christians 
would not send their children to a Hindu school or a Buddhist school. They probably wouldn't even send their children to a Jewish school. So why wouldn't they do that and not question what we have come to know as public school? Well, because I think the lie has been perpetrated that the whole reason to have a public school is to eliminate religious bias. And that just goes back to the fact that if you say something often enough, people then will start to believe it. And so you will hear people who should know better if they actually studied history and, for example, studied the genesis of the public school movement in America, they would realize that those people who started it had an agenda which included eventually removing any Christian element that existed. Well, there's at least one account of how this got started. I mean, it, it may actually predate what you are referencing to, and that is that in Puritan New England, there were schools established early on, primarily and exclusively for the instruction of the children and the things of God, and it was recognized then that education is a religious endeavor. problem was is that when Puritanism began to decline and degrade and devolved into things like Unitarianism or Universalism, you still had that school structure, but a different religion, a different worldview was being taught. So this then becomes the problem. And I think, as I have mentioned before, I was raised going to state-sponsored schools back in the early 1960s. And Christian parents could largely not be too concerned about that in that they knew that most of the teachers who would teach in these schools, the principal, generally were people from their own neighborhoods or environment, and they knew that the principal so-and-so went to this church and the second grade teacher went to that church. And so there was this veneer of the local state school all being involved with the same Christian worldview. And maybe on the surface that may have been the case, but as you were referencing, the origin of the modern public school system is humanistic to the core from the from the beginning. And so although these people may have gone to the same churches or similar churches, the curriculum, the agenda being legislated in those schools was far from being one that promoted a biblical worldview. And let's just get something on the table. You've admitted that your background included you were in public school. You were raised in public schools. My education was in private Catholic schools. So if all we're focusing on is academic achievement, well, you sound intelligent, you know a lot of things, you're certainly not an undereducated person. So if we just make school about academics and weighing success or failure based on things like test scores and what colleges someone goes into, then we have really missed the dictates of scripture. So in truth, I'm not saying nobody should ever go to a public school. Nor would I ever say that a Buddhist shouldn't find a Buddhist school if that's what the parents want. Now, of course, I'm going to say we hope that they will have an introduction at some point in their life to the message of redemption offered through Jesus Christ. But to say that the most important thing we can give our children is a good academic education misses the fact that everybody brings character and integrity to all situations. And so a person's religious views that have been taught from the time they were young will determine how they conduct themselves in business, how honest their research will be as they're pursuing cures for various diseases, how they will govern 
if they end up in civil government serving at any level of government. You see, if we just decide who got the best test scores, who got the best grades, then really and truly we don't have an answer to why is our culture such a mess? All these people probably got good grades. There must be something more to it than good grades. Holy Scripture enjoins us to train up our children in the way that they should go, and when they are older, they will not depart from it. I don't think it was ever in the mind of the authors of Holy Scripture that the training up of the child would involve only a narrow focus on, say, moral education as separated from everything else. Yet that is exactly how things developed in the educational system in these United States. It had been the idea, I think, in some communities that the public school teacher and the parent were sort of co-laborers, and one would assist the other. problem is that if a child is parked in a schoolroom five or six hours a day, especially in more modern times where you have one or both parents working outside the home, there is less and less influence of a godly parental structure in the life of the child. But then you couple that with the fact that the advent of modern entertainment and television, there is even more secular influence, uh, so-called, coming into the child's life to where, assuming that they do go to a Bible-believing church on a regular basis, you're only talking about two and a half, three hours a week, optimistically, as compared to the voluminous amount of hours that the other worldview is being pumped into the life and heart of the child. So it's a losing proposition in that way, and it, that's one explanation as to why the culture has devolved in the way that it has. Well, if you go back to where the culture really started getting assaults on the foundations of the country, you have to go to the early part of the 20th century. Because it was gradual, because a lot of the ground was taken before there was mass media, people were already geared towards this particular life view. So, for example, let's take the concept of democracy. Well, that first war was a war to end all wars and to make the world safe for democracy. So everybody grows up with this idea that democracy is good. Well, hopefully, with a Christian education, you will examine various ways in which men can govern, and there's not any place in Scripture that you're going to find an elevation of democracy as something that's valuable. Everybody knows it because we're now talking generations of people who that's what they heard. So it isn't so much that we've got these parents currently who really understand the Christian faith all that well, they're repeating in many cases what it was like for them, what it was like for their parents. And so you have a perpetuation of a very humanistic world and life view. So really, Charles, I think what we're talking about is establishing a biblical world and life view. And quite frankly, that's why a lot of people choose then a Christian school or to homeschool. Yes, and they realize that there is a life view being taught in the uh, public or state schools, but it is not a biblical one. And that goes back to the axiom that we've started off with and that we must continue to repeat, and that is that there's no such thing as neutral education. There's no neutrality anywhere in any endeavor in life. Everything is associated with a particular worldview and outlook on life on what the meaning of whatever we, what is the meaning of a family? What is the meaning and purpose of marriage? What is the meaning and purpose of the work that we do? All of these things are infused with an understanding of why you're doing this and what it is that I'm doing. Now, it may be very fuzzy. It may not be well-defined, 
but we are all operating from some standpoint about this, and education is one of the most crucial and one of the most important. And we are beginning to see, even now, the, the results of two or three generations of statist education devoid of any solid biblical perspective. The nature of our society, the, the, the culture, has become so degenerated that it's almost unimaginable to just people living in the 1950s or early 60s, as challenging as even those times were to earlier generations. And it's not standing still. We are still on a forward trajectory. We are seeing the results of humanism collapsing on itself, where we have schools graduating students that really can't read or write very well. They have no comprehension of history. And in many ways, this is by design to create a culture where people are easily manipulated by government leaders, by images, by sound bites. This is a very dangerous place for a society to be that pretends to be a free society. Right. So don't think that the status education system is a failure. It's only a failure if you posit a different world in life view. If what you want are people who aren't going to question the status quo, who are going to be consumed with the latest bit of gossip or celebrity situation and are going to be more concerned with who slept with who and who's cheating on who as opposed to forwarding the crown rights of Jesus Christ. There really isn't much opposition. But I can tell you, I speak to people all the time who want something different. And as our friend and mentor used to say, it doesn't take a majority, it takes a dedicated minority. The whole system that's in place now was successfully engineered into place by a dedicated minority. However, the dedicated minority of faithful Christians has the Holy Spirit and the blessings and promises of Scripture that we can honestly say, if God is for us, who can be against us? It isn't so much that the forces of humanism won in the face of a real battle. What happened was people were asleep at the wheel. They thought, isn't it great? Oh, compulsory education. That means that I can go and drop my kids off in kindergarten, and now I don't have to worry anymore, and I'll just leave it to the experts. Well, as soon as you become convinced as a parent, you need experts to tell you how to raise your children as opposed to going to God's word, if you identify yourself as a Christian, then there's going to be this schizophrenic attitude that says, oh yeah, we want them to be followers of Jesus Christ, but we're going to give them such a small segment of their life and expect different results. If you swim in a muddy pond, you're going to get muddy. If you swim in a clean place, you won't be muddy. That is exactly right, and I'm glad you brought that up about it actually being a a success story for the agenda uh, of humanistic statist education and the fact that it is a minority who were involved with the promotion and establishment of that. They certainly understood, and we're talking about people like John Dewey, uh, among others, Horace Mann, people who were the early progenitors of what would become our modern statist education system. They certainly understood that there was an agenda, and they had one, and it was to divest the educational structure as it had existed largely independently in the various states and largely promoting uh, at least a basic Christian worldview. They were basically neighborhood, private, semi-private, what we would today think of as private schools for all intents and purposes. And that was eventually captured by generations of 
of a minority point of view in terms of worldview who were in it for the long haul, and they have been successful, as you well pointed out. I can remember in the public schools in which uh, I attended here in the South, the classrooms were oriented toward math, reading, and writing. You know, there was a, a, across the top of the, the blackboard in the front of the school was the alphabet in cursive, uh, uppercase and lowercase letters. The seats were all lined up in a row facing the, the desk of the teacher. Of course, there was the ever-present American flag, maybe a picture or two of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and that sort of thing. Now, uh, the classes would begin every day with the principal reading a scripture reading or saying the Lord's Prayer. That actually went on in the public schools in which I attended almost right through high school. My father, who was the son of Italian immigrants, remembers hearing the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments being read. He says that's where he learned them in the public school. So you might say, well, then we just have to go back to that. These folks were patient. They knew if you gave someone a bone, they probably won't look at what else is being taught in all the other subjects. And unfortunately, even in a lot of modern churches, all you have to do is throw a bone and people are willing to put the label of Christian on it. See, it's not antithetical to our faith. But if you don't examine presuppositions and you don't see what the logical consequences are of certain presuppositions, you're not going to realize that your Christian faith is being hijacked. Well, I recall very well when I was in junior high school where uh, the, the principal would read like a 23rd Psalm, as you mentioned, or lead the, the students in the Lord's Prayer. This was all going over the PA system of the school. They also would have various students go to the office and get on the PA system and lead the devotional. They would read a scripture reading or lead the, the Lord's Prayer. Well, I very well recall on one occasion, the student who was asked to do this, he very much surprised the principal because instead of reading from the Bible, he announced that he was going to read from the Tao Te Ching and the Analects of Confucius. And he did. And so there was really nothing to say about that. It was a government school. There was no establishment of quote-unquote religion. So any perspective was just as valid as the other. Now, I don't know what the principal thought of it. See, there again, the door is open. If there's this denial uh, of the priority of the Christian worldview, then there is another worldview that has priority. And in the state of school system, it is that all religions are equal under the authority of the state, just like ancient Rome. Think of the whole premise on how public schools are funded. They're funded by property taxes. It's not really the subject of this, but it's not a biblical concept remotely that you put a tax on people's property because whoever taxes is saying that's the entity that owns it well the scripture says the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof so it's not the earth is the state's and the fullness thereof so we are now funding public education by means of taxing people's property and if you know anything about the real estate market it's always a big sell to sell homes in a quote-unquote good school district and that people will fight to be in a particular school district because they're limited as to where they can put their children. And we don't understand that everybody is being taxed to present a worldview that maybe not everyone agrees with. So if you're someone who no longer has children of school age, 
your property taxes go to fund the educational system. If you're someone who has chosen not to put your children into a public school, you put them in a Christian school or you're providing a home school, you are still taxed to pay for someone else's thing. So the whole premise of how this perpetuates has to initially be put at the doorstep of theft funds it, and then you have all sorts of legislative agendas that are put forth on what you can and can't do. So the classmate who read from Confucius wasn't disciplined, but come to 2018, and if somebody were to get on the public address system and read from the Gospel of John, they would be disciplined. Yes, and because these schools are the property of the state, and because the state is taking uh, our money, uh, everyone's money, to fund these without any recourse or action about curriculum. All those things are decided on a state level. Uh, All the policies are decided by, uh, in some cases, nameless, faceless people who have been educated in other status institutions about the nature of the child, the nature of education, and the idea of promoting a worldview in the schools that, as we've already said, creates obedient status citizens who are open to manipulation and a hundred other things. I can give you a couple of very graphic examples of how I saw this working out when I was in public school. Of course, at the time, I would not have articulated it this way. I do recall when I was in high school, one of the things that we were asked to get involved with, it was something that was brand new. No one had heard of it before, but it was the next big thing, and we were told the school was all in with it, and it was called Earth Day. And, of course, this is the genesis of the environmentalist movement or the flowering of it. Our school began to promote that. And again, this is a school in the Bible Belt. This, this is a school not in some big city like Chicago or Los Angeles that has had sort of a multicultural kind of emphasis or secular emphasis. E- even in some very, relatively speaking, small, out-of-the-way, largely sheltered area, these things are filtering in through the public school system. So you have the promotion of environmentalism. In that same school, there were a number of extracurricular clubs that students can join. And one of them was called the World Affairs Club. And the stated purpose of that club, it's, I've got my high school yearbook where you, anyone could read it for themselves. The purpose of the World Affairs Club is to create a consciousness of one people, one planet. And it quoted, I think, from the Charter of the United Nations. Totally secular perspective, a totally humanistic perspective. Once again, being sanctioned and promoted and funded by the tax dollars of a largely, at least nominally, Christian population. Interesting point, because when you're a young child, you don't understand all the presuppositions that go into curriculum choices, the books that are going to be read to the class, the things that are going to be promoted. You accept them. And really and truly, shame on parents when they just send their children to a place and say, I want you to be good, I want you to listen to what the teacher says, without understanding that the teacher will ultimately be governing that child that he or she doesn't have to really listen to his parents. Because you see, there's going to be this standard that doesn't include the family as an important institution. Unless anybody thinks I'm exaggerating here, there are certain things that the teachers do not have to tell parents that may be going on with their sons and daughters. So for example, if a girl is pregnant and has chosen not to tell her parents, The parents aren't given the option to help the girl decide. She can be taken to terminate her pregnancy and the teacher isn't going or the administration isn't going to 
challenge that decision is going to help her and supposed to help her. In a likewise manner, if with all the bombardment of transgenderism, if you have a confused individual who's not sure if he's a she or she's a he, they've already been told your parents won't understand because you see the generation gap is certainly encouraged. And once again, you can have decisions being made with the facilitation of the school administration or the faculty and the parents never know. So if parents are scratching their heads and saying, what happened to my kids? I used to know them. I used to know how they thought. Well, see what they're learning. Look at their textbooks. Get a recording of what the teacher is teaching. See if you can show up and sit in the back of the classroom. I would dare say that if you really have a desire to serve God, you'll be shocked at what you hear and see. We find biblical examples of this uh, very thing that you're referring to. Uh, one of the most striking is in the case of uh, Daniel, where he and his friends were a faithful remnant who had been a part of the people of Israel who were carried off into slavery by the Babylonians. And the first thing that the Babylonians did under King Nebuchadnezzar was to re-educate these young men, took away their Hebrew names and gave them Babylonian names. Uh, in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then Daniel, uh, they all had Hebrew names that reflected the term Yah or El, uh, ancient Hebrew Aramaic words referring to God, and but their their Babylonian names reflected the gods of Babylon. So they and they were given a thoroughly statist education, statist as in terms of the Babylonian state. You read this all very clearly in the first couple of chapters of Daniel. And this effort of the unification of a worldview, a dominant worldview, to the exclusion of all the others, is played out a thousand ways and a thousand different cases throughout history, no less in the state-sponsored school system that we have in this country. Now, uh, we have seen this come about where you have the unification of state authority, the school and its curriculum and what it teaches the children, the entertainment industry, the movies, the literature, and the music, where essentially all of that is reinforcing itself in all these different media. And so no one can think outside anything except what the state approves. And so you can see this. Our listeners should, should do their own experiment if they need to be convinced. Listen to the music. Listen to or watch and observe what's being taught in the schools. You mentioned transgenderism, uh, abortion rights. Notice the television programs. It, it has all come together in this very powerful way to challenge and ultimately attempt to defeat and totally eradicate a biblical perspective on life and uh, thought. And it's subtle. You know, you've got to give points for subtlety. At least it, it started off being subtle. If you look at it now, you can flip through channels on television and you virtually see the same thing. You virtually see news and what is considered news is pretty much across the board. If one station is talking about this is the most important thing, everybody seems to as well. And so this goes back to what culture is. A culture is the outward manifestation of people's religious beliefs. And so if we really want a Christian culture, then we're going to have to go back to what that would look like and what it would have to be based on. I think too many people think that these kinds of things can coexist together. They can't. And if you need proof of that, 
just look at what isn't allowed in the halls of justice, what's not allowed in status schools. The mention of Jesus Christ talking in terms of the Bible's guidelines, the Bible's commandments, these are something that have very little validity. I can talk to someone and say, this is what I believe, and they say, well, I understand that's what you believe, but I don't believe. And so now we each have competing beliefs. So they're all on the same playing field. Well, why are they on the same playing field? Because it looks like she has more agreement with her world and life view, but she doesn't even ask herself the question, what is it based on? And so the work we have to do with people, especially those who are leaning in the direction of questioning what they're doing, rather than tell them, you just got to get out of the public school, it's a very good exercise for them to examine what the presuppositions are, what their presuppositions are, and then see how they match up with Scripture. I would like to just also add to that in, in terms of how we endeavor to address this problem. Those of us who are concerned about it and are aware of what the situation is, what we need to do, we have to recognize that not all of our Christian friends are all on the same page with this, and our own success and victory in this is has to be a long-term, over-the-long-haul approach. We're not going to convince people who are not thinking in these terms overnight that there is an issue. And so we have to start within our own households and our own neighborhoods. I've been pastor of several churches over the past 25 or 30 years, and I have endeavored to be the pastor of every member of the churches where I have been. And I have been involved in churches where I've had church members who have their kids in government schools, uh, teachers who have taught in those schools, as well as homeschoolers and people in Christian schools. You know, many people who, uh, many Christian people who have their children in government schools, they recognize, of course, yeah, I'm concerned about the uh, the confusion of sexual issues and maybe the crime or the drugs or the sex issues. So they, they see the outward working of, of those things. But maybe they aren't thinking in terms of worldview. They need to be sort of brought along and introduced to that. And this is an avenue, an opening for us to have an opportunity to talk about why we do what we do and why we have done what we've done. And let's be clear, we're not saying that because you would put your child in a unashamedly Christian school with no compromise, or that you homeschool your children, or you get your children involved in a homeschool co-op, that that means that everything's perfect and hunky-dory and there won't ever be any problems. We're not saying that. But we have to recognize that if we start from the perspective of the absolute authority of Holy Scripture, that God has given us a commission to occupy, to have dominion, that means imparting a biblical worldview to our children and their children, and thereby we begin to have success. It won't happen overnight. As I said, it's a long, drawn-out process to reclaim ground that has been lost, at least in, in our own culture. But it is a, a project that we must be about doing, and at the same time recognize that we have a certain attitude we need to manifest, a winsomeness, a friendliness, an engagingness that doesn't alienate people without compromising our position. And again, I want to mention that I think the early Christians are an example for us. They lived in one of the most statist, absolutist governmental environments in history, that of the Roman Empire. Now, I don't think the Roman Empire had what we would think of today as public schools, but the influence of the state, the permeation of state authority was everywhere, and yet Christians found a way to build a parallel society within that corrupt system so that when it inevitably collapsed, the only thing left with any integrity, 
was the Christian system of its churches and networks of churches, and that is what largely succeeded in replacing the remnants of the old Roman Empire. It wasn't perfect. At least Christianity in the name of Christ was being exalted, whereas before it was the name of Caesar. And let's look at it very realistically. There's going to be hurdles in everyone's life. You might have parents who embrace what we're talking about and say, but we're so heavily in debt, we need the two incomes. Or there really aren't good Christian schools in our area, and I'm not qualified to homeschool. Well, I think if that's where someone's at, they need to go more foundational. They need to discover, is the status quo in their life honoring to God or not? And again, we're going to have to have a realistic view of the God the scripture describes. A lot of people want to think today, God understands that I'm trying really hard, and he knows that, yeah, it shouldn't be this way, but I just love the fact that God is long-suffering with me. That's a presumption that isn't necessarily founded on truth. I've mentioned it before. The parable of the sheep and the goats is, to me, one of the scariest episodes that you see described in Scripture. Because there are those who said, oh, no, 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 we did all this stuff. And Jesus says, no, I never knew you. And so the foundational issue is, what does God require of you? And you're going to have to dig deeper than, well, I've never heard sermons about this. And certain prominent people in the Christian community don't emphasize it. Well, maybe just maybe need to go back and get some help from people who have examined these issues and then ask yourself the question, am I being faithful? And that really is what it boils down to. It isn't so much, if I do this, will these results be guaranteed? It's that, am I found faithful? That, of course, is our starting point. That is the thing that should occupy the priority of our lives is faithfulness to God and his calling on us as men, women, as parents, as leaders in our communities. Again, it's, it has to do with a competing worldview. You're going to be faithful to some worldview, whether it's the, the worldview of CNN and Fox News, whether it's the worldview of the entertainment industry, the worldview of uh, a statist education, or the worldview given to us in Holy Scripture. Faithfulness is what the Lord requires. And it's worth asking this question. If the Lord is so tolerant and long-suffering with Christians who know better but continue to sow the seeds of discord and chaos in the culture, how would it look any different if God was, in fact, judging us for that than what we have today? Well, it wouldn't look any different at all because I think that we are indeed seeing the results of the Lord saying, okay, this is what you want, then I'm going to turn you over to have the fruit of what you are doing. And that is the result that we are facing in our culture today. The problem is, I think, that with the success of this humanistic agenda in the schools, we have fewer and fewer people who have any sense of what, in fact, a godly culture might, in fact, look like. And that is why it's so important for individual families to maintain that culture, even in microcosm. People need to have examples set for them, and if there are none, then that means that Christians are failing in that endeavor because the educational process begins at home. You can start to educate your children, even in very simple ways, even if you have them in public schools. And if it gets to the point where you find the competition too challenging in the sense that you, what you are wanting to teach your child is being undermined, 
then you have the option then, uh, presumably at some point, to begin to homeschool or find a good Christian school for your child. And this goes back to the idea, if you really believe God blesses for obedience, then rather than saying, you know what, God, I need to see the end from the beginning here. Show me that this will work, and then I'll obey. No, we don't obey because we see everything and how it's going to turn out. I can tell you that there are many families who I would consider gave it a faithful shot, and their children, when they got older, turned away. So none of this is guaranteeing that all children who go to a Christian school or all children who are homeschooled in a Christian environment are going to remain faithful. But what we want to make sure is they heard the scripture rendered to them faithfully. If they choose not to listen to it, that's their issue. They stand before God. But that's what we've got to be teaching. They're not going to hear in these environments that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. They're not going to hear that all people know the truth and suppress that truth in unrighteousness. A faithful Christian education doesn't so much have a special Bible class. You don't need a Bible class because the Bible is the foundation of every subject that's learned. Now, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the people who listen to our podcast, Charles, are familiar with the Calcine Foundation. And if you hear the closing music at the end, you hear a reference to a website called thekingdomdrivenfamily.com. Well, let me first state that the Kingdom Driven Family is a subset of the Calcedon Foundation. And if you had to say what is the hallmark of the Calcedon Foundation, it would be helping Christians govern themselves, govern their families, govern their communities with a biblical world and life view. And so education is a very, very important part. So for those who might be overwhelmed and are saying, well, how would I ever get started? Let me encourage you to go to calcedon.edu and look around. There's thousands, and I mean thousands of lectures. There are thousands of articles and essays. There are videos. There are blog pieces, all geared to allow you to be in a better position to obey God according to the words of scripture. And there are ways to get in touch with me. There's ways to get in touch with Charles. We have a dedicated email address for anybody who's listening to this podcast. It's out of the question podcast at gmail.com. And what we want to do is help you if you feel God's call to make some very significant changes in your life with regards to your own education, to undo a lot of the status education you got, or if you have currently a situation where you're responsible for the education of your children. It's amazing what a little bit of obedience produces. God outruns us with blessing when we're faithful. And that's something you can't say about any other world or life view. Because the current situation in society with the media and the public square is that it's not because anybody's really interested in you so much as you become a stepping stone for them. So the materials that I referenced at the Calcedon site, and I'm sure Charles is going to have some recommendation of books at the end of this particular podcast. 
But those things are offered at no charge because we think it's so important for people to have access to it. And we hope, of course, that if you benefit from the materials that are there, you will consider regular support of calcedon. But the information is so important that years ago, the Calcedon Foundation made the determination that we were not going to withhold what we consider vital because someone may not be in a position to pay. Yes, and a number of other resources are available at the Calcedon website. I would like to recommend a few in particular. Dr. Rushduni's groundbreaking book on this subject is called The Messianic Character of American Education. And you can read that online at the Calcedon website. You can purchase your own copy of it, which we encourage you to do. You might find also very interesting and engaging a series of discussions that R.J. Rushduni had with one of the preeminent educators of the time, a man who began to understand very clearly what was going on with so-called public or statist education, the late Dr. Samuel Blumenfeld. He recorded a number of what were called the easy chair discussions with Dr. Rustuni. And if you'll go to the calcedon.edu website and go to uh, the resources and simply type in R.J. Rushduni, Sam Blumenfeld, or Rushduni Blumenfeld Public Education, Look for Easy Chair Tape number 119. It was recorded in 1986, and you'll hear some fascinating discussion about some of the things that we've been talking about and even more extensively. I would also like to recommend a book that is available from Amazon, among other places. It's called The Underground History of American Education by John Taylor Gatto. John Taylor Gatto was an award-winning, recognized public school teacher, I believe, from New York City. And he became very concerned about some of the issues that we've been talking about, maybe not from exactly the same standpoint, but very similar. And his Underground History of American Education is a real eye-opener. If any of our listeners are not regular readers of the books by R.J. Rushduni or Reform Theology, maybe you're a little bit skeptical and you'd rather have, quote-unquote, some other source, well, here it is, The Underground History of American Education. I would recommend that book to you. Yeah, I found that book very enlightening. He's not coming from Christian perspective. He's coming from being someone that everybody applauded as being a great teacher and identifying the huge deficits in how modern education takes place. Well, we hope that this discussion uh, about what's the problem or why shouldn't I put my kids in public school, our efforts to get behind that question to address the issue of what is the meaning and purpose of education. We trust this has been helpful to you. And we would uh, love to hear from anyone who has any thoughts, questions, or comments. Andrea, would you get that email address one more time? Sure. Out of the question podcast at gmail.com. And let me add in two other resources that I think would be very helpful to people. If you're feeling, well, I think I'd like to do this, but I'm not sure how to do it. There is a book that's available by Sam Blumenfeld on calcedon.edu called How to Tutor. And education is really about imparting what you know to someone else. So if you can read, you can teach reading. If you can compute, you can teach arithmetic. And if you can write your letters, you can teach someone else how to do it. It doesn't take many degrees in education and advanced degrees or anything like that. And the How to Tutor book has with it as well something called Alpha Phonics. So A lot of people who have gone through a public education system aren't particularly good readers. And so this is something that you can use as you're teaching reading to a young child, but I have used it in the past for people who struggle with reading because they didn't get a good foundation. So it really doesn't take that much to jump right in. And the more you do, 
the more you'll see that there are many resources available. And if you make use of that email address, I am more than willing to discuss with anybody who has questions and particular questions how to proceed. Because that really and truly is building the kingdom of God. And that's what the kingdom-driven family is all about. Because scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be added unto you. And we want you to have the blessings that God's word promises. Indeed we do. Thank you very much for that, Andrea. And uh, we'll say goodbye to our listeners at this time until our next podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, visit www.kingdomdrivenfamily.com.